Hello, this is Keith Dent from Black Men Speak. Did you know that one in five African Americans are more likely to develop a mental illness during their lifetime than their white counterparts? A lot of that may be due to the pressure to conform to traditional gender norms such as toughness, fearlessness, and invulnerability to pain. That's especially true for black men. In addition, black men suffer in silence because of fears that being vulnerable goes against their ideals of masculinity. Due to these stressors, our men turn to illegal drugs and violence as a way to deal with trauma. But what if there's another way to heal on your own? Yoga not only provides physical benefits like increased flexibility, increase muscle and tone, just to name a few. It also helps brothers manage stress by incorporating meditation and breathing. Yoga can provide mental clarity and calmness, increase body awareness, and relax your mind. On today's show, we will talk with two brothers who changed their lives around through incorporating yoga in their daily lives. Quentin Vinny, author of a best-selling memoir, Strong in the Broken Places, who turned to yoga as a way to heal from attempted suicide in years of fighting anxiety, depression, and addiction. Uh, I feel like yoga found me. It was something that I had avoided for quite some time. I had a, um, you know, a negative uh, association to it. I thought it was, to be honest, I thought it was a weird sex cult. And then eventually branched out uh, into a studio here in Baltimore and you know did an hour and 15 minute class and you know ended up laying on my back for 10 minutes and felt the most euphoria i've ever experienced right outside of you know taking some kind of a drug or or, or alcohol in yearser raw hotel the senior most instructor of comedic yoga in the united states who was hooked the first time he did it and used the practice with children traumatized by the debilitating effects of abuse and neglect. Yoga, in a sense, made me high, in a sense of making me feel light, in a sense of um, making me feel good inside, in a sense of making, you know, changing my attitude and giving me energy. And then the deep breathing that I did and the deep relaxation that I did allowed me to have that internal experience that made me feel really connected to myself, connected to the rest of the world. On that note, I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome to the show. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad you guys are on, you know, because I know tonight we're really gonna dive into not just about yoga, the practice, but how you used you you use yoga to heal, and then maybe help help others to heal as well. So um, let's just get into before before we get into that a little bit. Uh, your sir, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and and how long you've been in yoga. What is um what do you like about the about yoga itself? Well, I, I started practicing yoga about forty six years ago, and that was in the around the somewhere in the mid-1970s. The reason, well, you know, the reason that I wasn't really attracted, you know, like a lot of men, because I know this is focused on black men, right? Like a lot of men, I wasn't um, really interested in yoga per se. I didn't really know what yoga was, but I was persuaded to go and take a class with my sister, right? And um, Okay. 
So I went to the class and I really loved the yoga. And my teacher was a male teacher. You know, he was a, his name is Dr. Azar Hapi. And um, I started the practice, you know, before I started practicing yoga, I had decided that I was going to use holistic modalities as a way to heal myself because um, I too, you know, um, I didn't really realize the degree to degree that it was back then, but I think I had, I think I was suffering from de depression. I felt bad a lot. And so I, and so I used a lot of, um, you know, drugs and alcohol and stuff, you know, to, um, and so when I went to the yoga class, I was expecting to see um, like a little skinny man from India wearing a diaper, you know, this whole stereotype. <laughs> and so um, I saw this, this uh, big tall brother, six foot five, you know, black brother uh, from the west side of Chicago, and he could do all these different postures. And I couldn't do anything, you know. I, you know, I was, I was, I was a vegan. I was, a, I was really a raw foodist, and I was, I would run and I would do calisthenics and stuff. But I, my body was real stiff. But he could do anything with his body in terms of any type of yoga posture you could think of. I mean, I liked the class, even though I couldn't do anything. I liked the relaxation. Mm -hmm. So when we laid on, when we lay down on the floor. And we did the total relaxation position. We call it the mummy pose, right? Okay. Um, I could feel, I, I just felt so good from that deep relaxation that, um, you know, it motivated me to want to keep doing it. Eventually, I started to teach it. And so I started my um, school, uh, Yoga Skills School to Comedic Yoga, where we train people to become yoga teachers and we also do a lot of work internationally in Africa and, you know, help our community throughout the whole diaspora. And you know, we see yoga as a healing, um, as a as a healing um, technology and as a um, something that that's going to be very positive for the development of our community. That's great. Great. Thank you. Uh, what about you, Quentin? Uh, uh, my journey was something very similar. You know, I was diagnosed with severe generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and mild to severe major depressive disorder. You know, I endured a two-year addiction to prescription pills, fell into a severe bout of depression, attempted suicide twice, survived an accidental overdose, and very similar, um, you know, decided that it was important for me to start living, uh, start fighting to live instead of living to die. Mm. And... Um, you know, from that point, you know, really dove into a more holistic way of being. Uh, you know, I was um, running a personal training business at the time, so I understood the significance of like how diet, you know, how it contributed to how we felt physically, but um, had no idea how it contributed to how we felt mentally. Uh, and, um, you know, d during this process of, of healing and recovery, uh, I feel like yoga found me. It was something that I had avoided for quite some time. I had a, um, you know, a negative uh, association to it. I thought it was, to be honest, I thought it was a weird sex cult that only white people engaged mm. in. I would see it, I would see it at the gym, and you would see a, a group of people walk in with no shoes on their feet, and they go in the room, and the curtains would be 
put down and they'd have candles lit and nobody was allowed in there. And then an hour later, they'd come out sweaty and then they'd leave the same way they came. Right. And I never saw anybody that looked like me, <laughs> never saw anyone that represented me, right. you know, and I was like, OK, this may be something that they're into and I'm, I'm good on that. Um, but, uh, you know, after really, you know, um, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, our gut being God. And there was something um, that kept drawing me to this practice. I would see it everywhere. I would see community classes at the billboard or at Wegmans or you know, it was in the Aflac commercial, right? Like I, it was everywhere. And I was like, okay, obviously the universe or somebody, God, whoever is telling me that I need to try this thing. Um, and, and I did uh, and, and fell in love with it immediately. You know, uh, it helped me to really come back to myself and, and, and recognize who I was protecting and hiding from for so long. Wow. That's great. And so, since you guys both kind of have similar stories, how long did it take um, to be in the practice and until when you started to feel uh, the benefits of yoga, whereby you felt you needed to adopt this as a lifestyle? Well, for me, it was um, the first time I did it. Got me hooked on it. Oh, the first time, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like to be high, right? So but I didn't want to be out any type of drugs. And so yoga in a sense made me high in the sense of making me feel light in the sense of um, making me feel good inside in the sense of making, you know, changing my attitude and giving me energy. So after the first class, even though I wasn't real flexible, the poses that I did to the, to, to the degree that I was able to get my body into them and then the deep breathing that I did and the deep relaxation that I did allowed me to have that internal experience that made me feel really connected to myself, connected to my breath, connected to the rest of the world. Uh, Quentin, what about you? Yeah, it was, it was very much the same way, right? Like I didn't, my first practice didn't come I, I didn't go to a studio. I actually found a video on YouTube and practiced in my living room. You know, um, again, I was a personal trainer, but I had my first panic attack in the gym during a workout. And so I was afraid for months, you know, to, uh, to, to put my body into any kind of physical activity where my heart rate would, you know, would increase because that would often trigger my anxiety. And yoga was the one physical modality that I was able to use while I was still able to get physical, still able to feel that physical challenge that yoga uh, provides uh, and and not have to run the risk of my anxiety increasing. It actually helped to reduce the symptoms of my anxiety. So once I, once I realized that it was actually something that was attainable um, and, and I enjoyed, you know, I stuck with it. Great. Right. So you guys are both have similar stories, which is fantastic. But, you know, of course, as we know, you know, we don't really see ourselves in yoga in the, or in the media, whether it be on TV, commercials, or uh, like print media. I don't know. It's starting to change, but we, we have a difficulty um, going into the practice. So one question I have, and may, may be helpful 
for uh, our brothers is to kind of break down what isn't yoga. I guess, I, I guess for me, yoga isn't ego, right? Yoga isn't stereotype. Yoga isn't um, prejudice, right? These are often the things and the, 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 the things that we tell ourselves because we have these associations of what yoga is because of Western culture, mm. you know, not realizing that the practice of yoga exists in our genetic makeup, right? It is a part of our DNA, um, you know, and I think when we let go of ego, when we let go of uh, the fear of criticism and of what someone else is going to think of us because of what we're doing, then we open up a door of opportunity for us to really identify who we are, uh, whether through the practice or outside of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, for, for us in our culture, we're, we're so consumed with the perception, right, of what someone's going to believe us to be, that we often lose who we truly are, just in general, mm. right? And I think for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else, but my practice actually helped me to identify who I was because if I allowed society, because my entire life I allowed society to tell me who I was, who I wasn't, who I mm. would be, and who I never would be. Right. Wow. And so okay. I walked around with this cloak of judgment on me my entire life on yourself. until I okay. in, until I got tired of being confined to a box. Right. And said, you know, what, what do I have to lose if I already have nothing? Right. So it's like mm. I have nothing else to gain. I, I, I was living a life that I, that was void of happiness, that was void of of confidence that in a lot of ways I felt was void of love. I tried to kill myself right. twice. Mm what can a person do to me that I didn't try to do to myself? Right. right. And so for me to be afraid of someone else's judgment was, was asinine at that point. Right. And so I think we have to let go of these, these stereotypical ideas of what this practice is and just find a way to identify what it can be for us individually. Yes, sir. Do you agree with that? I, I, I agree with all of that. And to add to it, I would say that yoga isn't um, for, it isn't only for women. It isn't only for white people. It isn't only for rich people. It is not, it isn't a religion. Yoga is a system for self-development. And just to say, okay, yoga is not a religion. So some people say they don't want to do yoga because they think it's a religion. They think that it comes from Hinduism. They think that um, when you practice yoga, that you have to say things in a language that you don't know, like in sand, like in a Sanskrit language, and that you're and that you're and that you're chanting and you're worshiping different gods and stuff like that. We break down yoga scientifically, and we practice yoga from the perspective of what type of um, internal. Is it, going to, is, is it going to allow me to have? So the first way of experiencing yoga is going to be through your body, and it's going to be through um, your breath. Everybody has breath, and you use your breath to do something which I call activate the parasympathetic nervous system, right? So, so, so something that Quentin said triggered me when he said that 
um, exercise would trigger would trigger his um, with the anxiety. Anxiety. Mm -hmm. Because when you exercise, and exercise is good, but when you exercise, you actually are you actually are stimulating the sympathetic part of your autonomic nervous system, which raises blood sugar, raises your blood pressure, and things like that. You know, to a degree, why you become fit. But when you practice yoga, it lowers your blood pressure, it lowers your heart rate. So it, it would have the opposite effect of a panic attack or anxiety attack, right? So we, it would make you, it would calm you down. It would lower heart rate. It would lower, it would make your blood sugar levels reduce and things like that. And that's why it's a health building system. That's why it's a system for self-development. The more you practice yoga, the more that you begin to reprogram the physiology of your body and the physiology of your body will help to reprogram your mind and your thoughts and your emotions. Because every thought we have, every emotion we have is attached to a physiological reaction and a biochemical reaction in the body. And so when we practice control deep breathing, that's all you got to do when you want to learn yoga. If you don't do nothing else, you learn controlled deep breathing and you practice that every day, several times a day. And you would you would change your whole orientation of who you are, how you feel, how you relate to yourself how you relate mm. to others how you relate to the world just doing that, that one that one small practice within the whole universe of what yoga has to offer you know can be very transformational wow. and okay. also the final thing i'm gonna say is that yoga is not only from india yoga is also from africa and other indigenous people around the world yeah, you know? yeah i can't wait to get into that because i know that yeah. uh you practice a different type of yoga and i mean we'll be able to we're going to talk about those differences so okay uh, uh so yes so i i came across this article in the yoga journal um and i wanted to i wanted to read it and get your thoughts on it so it's it basically was by uh Ter the yoga journal by terrell Germain star and he he started his yoga practice um and it took him about four months before he took a man's class. So, and he said he couldn't believe another man could be the source of healing and comfort. How have you, how, so my question was how, and, and I'm sure, um, I know Quentin didn't have a yoga practice, but might have maybe had some classes, but how have you overcome the assumption that men can't support other men in the yoga space? I, I guess for me, um, th the assumption that men can't support other men, mm -hmm. that was never an assumption for me. Okay. You know, um, that perception of support was ended a long time ago for me when, you know, growing up, I didn't have a father. And then at 23, 24, I had a son of my own. And I taught my son the importance of vulnerability. I taught my son the importance of, of, you know, acknowledging and 
accepting his emotion that he had the permission to be human. Um, I grew up with some very solid brothers that I'm still there. And, and I mean, brother, not in the relational sense, but brothers in the friendship sense that turned into family. And we supported one another in every dynamic, you know, every dynamic and area of our lives. And so I learned very early on that men could support other men. The only support from a man I didn't get was from my own father. Mm. Uh, and that was because he had his own struggles in the streets with addiction. And once he got himself together, you know, our relationship shifted. And so, you know, that was never that was never a perception for me. That was never a part of my reality. You, sir? I have a whole different introduction to yoga than what most people do. We, mm. in the beginning of our practice, we began it from an African-centered perspective because that was our consciousness when we went into it. And we already understood that yoga had an African origin. So we learned yoga from a, you know, we, you know, we, we self, you know, we taught ourselves. We would look at the different books, but we would understand the information from our own perspective because mm. everything that we learned, even, even if we went to a lecture to hear Swami Rama or somebody like that, we would still filter the information through our African consciousness. The idea of not being able to get the nurturance from a man. My teacher, my teacher was a man. My teacher was a black man who was just like me. You know, to me, that's a it, that's something that you encounter if you operating within that European construct of culture and that European construct of psychology. Mm. You know, but um, once you step out of that matrix that they've created, you know, um, these things are not necessarily an issue unless they're being imposed from some other some other source. Well, and that's deep since we have, um, cause so we've kind of touched upon Africa, and I know um, you will practice Kemetic yoga, which is from Africa, as opposed to uh, the other yoga, which is primarily from India. So what is Kemetic yoga, and what makes it different from yoga that's out of India? Well, I want to say, because I have respect for all yoga, all yoga is good. All yoga is yoga, right? Right. There are some differences. The yoga that is being practiced in India, not necessarily being practiced in India, I'm going to say the mainstream yoga that's being practiced in the mainstream in the Western world that people think of, people think of as yoga is coming from a particular worldview, a particular orientation that dictates everything down into the practices, the way that the postures are done, everything is dictated by that, right? Okay. So we see that the yoga, that, we see that the predominant yoga that people do is body yoga, right? They do up dog, down dog, warrior one, two, and three. They do, they do vinyasa flow sequences and stuff like that, right? Right, right. And um, it's very physical. It's a, it's fast, you know. To me, it's it's you're going. Yes, it is. It is fast. <laughs> That's yeah. one thing that I struggle with. That I was like, wait, slow down, so I can get into these poses. So, 
if you struggle, I struggle, you know, because I, I don't even take those classes. But in the times that I've in the times that I've done them, I have said this is too, I, I don't I need I need the chance to inhale and exhale. This is not just a physical exercise for me. I see people teaching yoga classes. They never say inhale. They never say exhale. They never say breathe. They just doing stuff, you know. And it's like, you know, how how is this yoga? So the foundation of yoga is the breath. But why is the foundation of kinetic yoga the breath? Because of our worldview. Our worldview in kinetic yoga comes from the concept that we call ma'at, M-A-A-T. So ma'at is symbolized by a woman with feathers on her arm, with the arms stretched out, kneeling on one leg, twisting to the side with her arms extended. And the feathers on Ma'at's arms represent her ability to manipulate the force of the breath, which is contained in the air, means that the nature of the universe has five characteristics, order, balance, harmony, justice, and uh, reciprocity, I think. So those five principles are the principles that you are trying to incorporate into your own personality matrix, your own self, your own being, your own mental, spiritual, psychological, psycho-emotional being. Those are the things. Balance, harmony, justice, reciprocity, order. And we use breath. So when we do our yoga practice, we're not only inhaling and exhaling on a mechanical level. Because if I go to the gym and I do a bench press, I'm going to inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. That's not yoga. When you breathe in yogically, you are breathing in such a manner from a comedic perspective, right? You're breathing in such a manner that you are inhaling and you're trying to raise energy mm. from the lower chamber of the body below the navel at the lowest area of your spine. And you're trying to draw that life force that exists there that you were born with. You're trying to draw that life force and make it come up your spine and move to the middle of your forehead when you breathe in. And when you breathe out, you're trying to direct that energy through your arms into your hands. And at the same time, down your legs and into your feet. And so we see this process of inhaling, exhaling, moving the energy up the spine on the inhalation, through the arms and down the, through the arms, into the hands, down the legs, into the feet. And we're trying to move energy. We use the movements and the postures primarily as a means to move energy and life force through the channels because the channels, the energy channels that the um, life force is moving through, they can become clogged up, they can become blocked. And those blockages is what creates the mental and psychological instability and also the physical ailments and illnesses and diseases that we have. So we so we say from our perspective that everything is a lot, everything is um, is coming from 
the ability to keep energy moving. But the mainstream modern yoga, the way it's being practiced, they don't really focus on these things. And they oftentimes don't even focus on breathing, period. Right. And so I know, Quinn, you created what you'd call this trinity of wellness. Um, I'd like you to touch upon that a little bit. Uh, How did you decide to kind of create that? What what has been kind of the result and how has it changed uh, your life? First of all, uh, Yosir, I have to thank you for for that perspective. I think that is a a very unique um, and important. I shouldn't even use the word unique. I think it is an important factor in a yoga practice that is not spoken about commercially and in Western culture. Um, And so, like, I'm a firm believer as well. If you can breathe, you can do yoga. Um, and so that, that changes the accessibility factor of it so much, right? Where, you know, it is not reserved for, you know, uh, the, the, the Louis Vuitton buyers, uh, and the, and the, and the Soho loft livers, right. But it is, it is really a, um, a modality and a practice that is and celebrates our humanity. So thank you for, for sharing that. The, the Trinity of wellness for me, um, I don't. I wouldn't say that I created it. As much well, as I would, yeah. I would say that you know it became. I'm an addict, you know, and anyone who struggled with any kind of addiction, you recognize that the addiction itself never goes away. The behaviors often shift to something else, right? And so, uh, the first modality that I just that I, I um, started to practice within this healing journey was juicing. You know, I was one of those individuals who never liked to eat salad. I didn't like to eat my vegetables. I didn't like to eat, you know, a lot of fruit outside of watermelon and grapes, right? It wasn't something that, you know, I was really into. I, you know, even when I was working out, you know, um, I was a, a, you know, protein shake and, you know, grilled chicken and, Mm. you know, would barely eat, you know, my broccoli, you know? Um, And so, because even, even during healing, I still didn't want to eat my vegetables. I didn't want to eat salad. And so what better way to get those nutrients than to juice them, drink them, you know? Um, and, and that's how I, I would mitigate a lot of the withdrawal symptoms with putting, you know, a, a significant amount of nutrients into my body. That helped, right, the discomfort there. And then from there, you know, I like to say, again, yoga found me. And so I started to practice, you know, the physical um, postures in yoga, you know. Um, And then, you know, I will be in, uh, uh, I I eventually branched out uh, into a studio here in Baltimore and, you know, did an hour and 15 minute class and, you know, ended up laying on my back for 10 minutes and felt the most euphoria I've ever experienced, right? Outside of, you know, taking some kind of a drug or, or, or alcohol. And I was like, well, how can I experience this same feeling without putting my body into a pretzel for an hour and 15 minutes? Right? And that's when, you know, it was like, well, you can actually sit still and, 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 and breathe intentionally. And essentially with what, you know, Yasir was talking about, like, that's what was the foundation, right? And so mm-hmm. it became like yoga, meditation and juicing. But, at the, it, you know, it, it all encompassed one another. Right. Like I was able to ingest the things that I needed uh, in my body from a nutritional perspective, 
while still being able to get physical in my body from a physical perspective and then having that connection to breath and to and to, to the universe um, and society and myself, right? Uh, and so those three things embodied and embodies to me, um, you know, practices that will help mitigate a lot of the symptoms and the diseases that we struggle with today. And so, you know, for some, you know, because of how it's packaged, right, it is a unique concept, but in reality, um, it's just providing ourselves psychologically, physically, uh, and nutritionally, all the things that we need to, to be our best selves as human beings. Wow, that that's great. But I guess then one of the things, I guess we would have to, I guess, change the paradigm of of our communities, uh, which are which is not breathing is not one of the things. You know, if we would say a lot of our, especially our black men, are under a lot of pressure. And I talked about the stressors earlier, and then also having the access to those, uh, you know, nutrients, you know, from juicing. Uh, and so that and that can be a challenge. So how do how do we overcome those things? When you start to practice yoga, you change your vibrational frequency. And so people say, but what is that? Everything vibrates. Everything starts with the mind. Everything is mental. So when you start to work with your mind and you start to do your practice with the breath, you start to change the vibrational frequency that your mind, your brain, your consciousness, your body, which is an antenna that receives information and projects information. You start to change those dynamics and you start to send out a signal that's of a different quality into the universe. This is like law of attraction stuff, right? Right, right. They don't, they don't, they don't really explain to you correctly. You start to draw back to you other vibrational frequencies, other signals that provide you information. And so what I'm saying is that the answer and the solution to our problems are within us. And when we began to look with when we begin to look within, we find the answer, we find the solution to our own problems, to the, to the, to, you know, to, to the own, to our own challenges that we have. Everything is, everything is within us. If we can, you know, and it's not saying that you, that you do not study external things like, you, you know, you just, I'm, I'm, you know, I have, I have um, three or four degrees, right? political science, social work, um, I have a associate of arts degree, I have a lot of different things. I've studied anthropology, I've studied all these different things, right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you don't study things, you don't study the world and you don't get that education, but you have to also get an education internally. And that's the part that we're missing. So you could be a political scientist, but if you don't know anything internally, then you only know half the you only know half the game because you only mm -hmm. working with your left brain. You're not working with your right brain. Okay. And we and if you if you talk to advanced psychologists, right, they understand this left brain right brain issue 
mm-hmm. that needs to be dealt with. They also understand this thing called epigenetics, about how your consciousness can change your genetic makeup. So it's a lot of different things like that that we're working with with yoga. The first thing, so when I work with young people, the first thing I do is um, I give them something to eat because I'm working with young people that's from the hood. So they ain't got, they, they, they stomach empty. Before I can say anything to them, talk to them, try to help them, I got to feed them. The next thing I do, I teach them how to breathe. I teach them how to relax. I teach them how to go within. And then once they are able to release some of their anxiety, some of their tension, then we able to have a conversation and we can talk on a real level. Hmm. See? And so that's what you have to do. So we have to have conversations to look for solutions that's based upon that level of release of anxiety, what Quentin was referring to, like releasing the ego. The ego is just your, it's just a false sense of yourself where you're putting up defenses against what you feel like may be an attack, even though you're not even conscious that that you're being defensive, right? So you put up this facade of a self that's not even real. So we have to break through all of those things. So before we can really develop before we can really create the economic system that we need to have to in order to become really self-empowered, we have to we have to go within. And so, um, but just on a practical level, right? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think he I think he really he covered a lot of it. You know, like we have to do the work on self in order for us to really build community in the way that you know that that we that has been described. So. You know, no, anything that I would say would just be repetitive and maybe using different language, but it would be the same concept. And so, I mean, and and that's an interesting perspective because a lot of times, especially in our communities, we do tend to blame slavery and other things on our plight. But what I'm hearing from you, both of you say is that if we go within we can make the changes that we need to make, not only for ourselves, but for our communities at large. Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we would, I, we can never, um, we, can, we can never remiss the fact that slavery and systemic racism and oppression and, you know, all of these things play a vital role in where we are as a culture and a society, how we feel about ourselves, the fact that our history has been stripped from us, right? To the point where, you know, even practices that are native to us have been, are credited to to everywhere else except us, Hmm. right? The things that we've created, the laundromat, the traffic light, right? Like like all of these things have been stripped from us, right? So when you constantly strip the successes and the achievements of a people, right? The the purpose is to make them feel less than because it's easier than to control, right? So we we can't escape that reality. However, by going inside, by identifying who we truly are, we all, it's not, it's, it's not uncommon knowledge that we come from kings and queens. It's not uncommon knowledge that we come from a superior level of being, of thinking, of existing, 
It's not uncommon for knowledge of that. We have to strip away the ego, strip away this I, this this perception of 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 who we are, and really start to break down and identify for ourselves who we have the potential of being. Tapping back into that ancestral being, right? You have so many people who you know. I mean, I know myself, I was one of them when I was young. It was like, I'm not going out in the yard. I'm not raking leaves. I'm not doing these things. And yet here I am 30 plus and I love gardening, you know, Um, because (laughs) this is what we, our culture was built on the earth, right? We are of the earth. And and so because that's been stripped away from us, I grew up in West Baltimore. The grocery store didn't, you know, we didn't get our groceries locally. You know what I mean? Uh, and right, so right. that was not, we didn't have yards. You know, my grandmother had a small front yard with a little bit of grass. It took three minutes to mow. And then the backyard was all concrete and cement. Right. Right. And so there are so many concepts and constructs that have been used against us. Um, but we have the unique ability to overcome those things. And we see them represented in our culture every day. Your sir, anything on that? Yeah. Um, I agree with everything Quentin is saying. Um, I think that we have to develop a belief in the unseen. When you're working with the mind, right? If this cup is the is the mind, the top of this cup right here, this is the conscious part of the mind, right? That's this. The rest of this it's the subconscious. That's the rest of your mind. So the vast majority of your consciousness is subliminal. Your motivation for your behaviors, for your automatic thoughts, the things that you think, your, your first impressions and your first reactions to events and experiences that you have as they occur is being generated from the subconscious. And the subconscious or the subliminal aspect of our being is being programmed by our traumatic experiences that we're having. So if you're, if so, so we're talking about men, right? Mm-hmm. You're a man, somebody kick your ass, right? I hope I can say that. Somebody kick your <laughs> ass, then you go, that's, that's trauma. If the police kick your ass, the police harass you. The police brings fear into your heart because you have to fear for your life. That's traumatic. But we have to keep on stepping. So what do we do? We sublimate that fear. We sublimate that negative feeling about ourselves into the subconscious because that's how the mind deals with trauma. It sublimates it down. And so then... But, but then when you snap on somebody, it may be your wife, your woman, your kid, your whoever, your significant other, whoever that is, somebody close to you, somebody at your job, you snap on somebody, you don't even know because it's snapping, because you don't know where it even came from. It came from the subconscious. Hmm. It came from that internalized trauma. When you, when you take those drugs, when you drink that alcohol, when you smoke those cigarettes, when you let yourself get out of shape because you're eating the, because you're sitting around eating fried chicken and pizzas and stuff, right? 
Mm. All of that is trauma and stress, anxiety that is generating behaviors which are maladaptive and self-destructive. And that's what we work with. We are killing our own selves. So we can say slavery, police brutality, white supremacy, the institutionalized racism, all of those things are true. But how are we gonna react to them? What is gonna be our response? It's a chess match. The dude over here, th these people are, you know, when I say these people, I'm not talking about individual, I'm talking about this culture that we are confronted with in terms of Western culture. It's our enemy, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not the people, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't deal with people, I deal with the whole system, the whole matrix of the of the of the structure that we exist in we, we we exist in a milieu in an environment that is oppressive and so how are we going to react to that because we have forces within that environment that is saying we're going to keep you down we're going to oppress you we're going to depopulate you we're going to do all these different things to you right so it's like a so it's like a battle. It's like a chess match. Well, what am I going? What am I going to do in response? Am I going to go get drunk? Am I going to go, you know, eat myself into oblivion, or am I going to do something strategic that's going to counter and go five moves ahead of this ahead of my opponent in order to be successful in order to, to win? Because we, as black men, we are supposed to be winners. We are supposed to defeat our opponent. Whether the opponent is a physical entity that you have to go to war with and actually do some battle with, with, with your fists and with weapons, or your opponent is something that you have to defeat psychologically. So you have to have that winning mentality. And you have to have a belief in the unseen and the power of that which cannot be seen. The ancestors, mm -hmm. the divine forces of nature, that in ancient Kemet, they call them the Neturu. In other parts of Africa, they might use the Orisha. White people call them gods and goddesses. That is not what they are. They are divine forces that operate within the universe. They are forces of nature. We have to believe that these forces of nature can be arrayed to be on our side and to work for us. That we have abilities in our mind. When we practice yoga, we begin to practice, we begin to develop abilities that are above and beyond what white psychology, what European psychology tells us is normal. So they call it ESP. They call it extrasensory perception. Mm -hmm. I call it normalized sensory perception that you naturally, abilities that you have, telepathy. Okay, we brothers, we should be able to like talk to each other without, without using no cell phone <laughs> because we can communicate with our mind. Right. We should be able to predict something that's going to happen in the future because they call that clairvoyance, right? Now, now the European, the mainstream European culture, they say, oh, we don't believe in that. That's metaphysics, that's um, that's fantasy type of stuff. But the intelligence agencies, the CIA, 
in the U.S. and uh, whatever the Russians are and the Chinese, they all got people being trained to use their mind in these ways. So if we are, so these people are warriors. They are using ESP, psychic abilities, to be warriors. How come we can't be warriors? When I sit down and I meditate, I'm not just sitting down and meditate because I want to relax and just. Well, I feel better because I, I'm relaxed. My mind is generating thought. My mind is projecting into the universe. Mm -hmm. My mind is trying to create a create an idea of something that I can then manifest in a material, crystallized way that's going to actually materialize. You have to kind of have to do to make those yeah. changes, thought bringing those positive thoughts, those, that energy into our minds and manifesting it out to make our com ourselves and our communities better. So I but, hope but you let, have me, a let, let me just say this, this one more second. We have to study these things in the proper way. Mm, okay. You can't just go nearly willy. There is technique. They are practicing that there in every field of endeavor, you have best practices and quality assurance. And so if you don't have best practices, if you're just doing some weird stuff, you ain't go, you're not doing nothing. That's why they had the secret on Oprah and they doing all this stuff. And it, it just, you know, they made all the money. Now they don't win and now they don't faded away. Gotcha. Okay. So the, the right training and the right training, which is important. Uh, so I, two things that I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to... First, talk about, you know, because I know you have a, a, a memoir out. I wanted to share that, how people can hear more about your story. And then also um, about your tea, because, you know, you have a business. And I want you to promote that. But my, the, and then the lastly, the question I want to leave you with is what's on your mind right now as a, as a and that's, this question's for both of you. What is on your mind right now as a, as a black man? I'll, I'll carry the, the first two and then answer the third. Uh, and then I'll depart. But before I do that, can't, uh, Keith, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, Yasser, um, it's been an honor and a privilege uh, to be in communication and communion, to hear you speak, uh, to, to, to hear that reinforcement um, is, is definitely, uh, it, it was needed. It was is needed and, and definitely grateful and appreciate and appreciated. So thank you for that. Thank you for this time and this space. Memoir, Strong in the Broken Places. You can find it anywhere books are sold, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, uh, Books A Million. Uh, tea Company, uh, started a company, Greenhouse Teas, um, you know, geared toward, um, you know, wellness and sustainability, right? And accessibility, um, you know, uh, and um, you can find that, uh, more about that, greenhouseteas.com. Uh, everything is sold exclusively online currently. Um, the last question is, how do I feel as a black man? Um, well, no, what's on your mind right now? What's on my mind? What's on my mind as a black man? Uh, I think the, the thing that's on my mind right now as a black man is the same thing that's always on my mind. And it's, you know, um, sustainability, right? You know, um, we are, as black men, we are hunted in this country. Um, and we are we are, are dying from whether from uh, you know um, being murdered by you know uh, police officers or uh, killing ourselves and our health 
right? And, and not doing the things necessary uh, to take care of ourselves. And so for me, it's sustainability and creating legacy, something that is going to last longer than me. And that also exceeds and extends beyond just my family. I have a pretty large family just welcomed a newborn daughter uh, into this world. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. Uh, you know, in, in March. And, you know, it's, it's for me, it's more than just leaving her with money, right? But it's leaving her uh, in a world, in a society that was much better than it was when I got into it, you know? Uh, and so a lot of the work that I do is geared toward um, making sure that her children have a better uh, existence than I did, um, making sure that my children have a better existence than I did. Um, and, 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 and utilizing my experiences, um, you know, in life to impart some level of wisdom. I'm a firm believer that wisdom to me is, is learning from someone else's experience, right? Uh, and, and, and not having to repeat the cycle um, just to come to the, the same, the same um, uh, end result. Uh, and, and that's my goal. And that's what's on my mind, right? Just creating a level of sustainability uh, and legacy for myself, for my family, and for people that look like me. Great, I, I think Thank that's, you a, so much, that's a great, great, um, great way to really uh, leave a legacy. And I think you are you are moving towards that with just one how you're living for your family, and then also uh, your business. So I thank you for being on tonight, and uh, I know you got some your other endeavor. So uh, thank well, you. thank you so much. All right now, salute. Okay. And so yeah, sir, yeah, you have a you have the last word, you know, just a little bit about about you and how um if people want to uh follow, I mean, your yoga your teaching, uh is there a way to do that online or um in the area and then what is on your mind as a as a black man? You know, if people are really interested in what we're doing, they can just go to the website Kinetic Yoga Skills K E M E T I C Yo, yoga, Y-O-G-A, skills, that's K-I-L-L-S, kineticyogaskills.com, and they can see what we're doing. Um, we do online courses <clears throat> to train people to become um, yoga instructors. Um, it's cheaper to do the, to do the course online, um, and we help you to, you know, to learn skills that you can start your business with in terms of being a yoga instructor, in terms of being a wellness, um, sort of like a wellness coach, um, a holistic advisor to people to help them with their overall health and well-being, stress management, um, um, nutrition. You know, we incorporate all of those things into our courses as well as um, understanding the history and philosophy of ancient Kemet and the metaphysical and spiritual aspects of it. So we have our online courses. We have uh, our uh, retreats and trainings that we do in Jamaica and that we do in Egypt. But what's on my mind is that we don't need to become distracted, you know, by, by BS. You know, we, we always, you know, you hear all these conspiracy things and they doing this. It's like, man, just space, just go on and take care of business. You know, create, create your wealth. You know, um, stop looking at what's on my mind is stop looking at the negative and look at the positive. I believe in a strength.
based analysis, not a weakness based analysis. I want to build upon my strengths. Mm. I don't want to focus on, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that. What can I do with what I have? Right. You know, so that's what's on my mind. That's what's been on my mind for the last um, year, you know, 46 years that I've been yes. doing this. So that's what I'm thinking. Well, that was great. I have to say, um, it was truly enlightening. Um, the energy that you, that is in, within you, that you uh, gave us this evening was truly fantastic. So I thank you for being on tonight and I wish you well. Well, thank you, brother Keith Dent. And um, I appreciate you having me. And I want to say to everybody that's uh, watching on Kuja Sunel, which means life, health, and prosperity. Thank you. Thank you. Life, health, and prosperity to you as well. Yes. All right. All right. Good night. Good night. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you, Quentin, and your story for sharing your story. Two things to remember. Yersir said it so wonderfully. If you can breathe, you can do yoga. And if you want this to become part of your life, you first have to take action. Go to a class, find one on YouTube, and try it out. Healing from trauma or making a change in your life takes time. Trust the process. Black Men Speak podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can find past episodes of Black Men Speak wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if this is your first time listening, or you're a regular listener, please share and subscribe, or drop me a line and let me know how I'm doing at info at keithdent.com. I'd really appreciate it. As you know, at the end of every show, we like to end with a quote, and this one comes from Muhammad Ali. It isn't the mountains ahead to climb that wear you down, it's the pebble in your shoe. This is Keith Dent from Black Men Speak. Peace.